So we're in this series called No No Parenting, and um, if you're a parent or if you remember when you were uh, young, you've heard or said the, the phrase no no to your children hundreds of times, thousands of times. Um, throughout this series, I'm coming to learn more and more how many times I say no no to my kids. And uh, saying no no is an important part in a kid's journey, teaching them things that are um, not good, things that are harmful, things that will uh, break. Uh, they need to understand no no's. But here's, here's the realization that I had uh, a couple of weeks ago as I was praying through this series, is that there's no one really pointing the finger at parents saying no no to parents. And obviously we make mistakes as parents. And uh, we aren't perfect. And there are things that we do. There's decisions that we make. There are opportunities that we squander with our kids that obviously can have damaging effects on them uh, in their adult life. And so we want to take some time in the series and just point out some mistakes that we can avoid as parents. Now, if you're here and you're not a parent, maybe you're a student, uh, or maybe your parents are grown and older, um, I don't want you to check out for the next few minutes and think this isn't for me. If you're a student specifically, um, I'm asking that during this series you would um, learn that parenting is a difficult challenge uh, for your mom and dad, that they have difficult decisions to make and hopefully gain some insight as to why they do some things and decisions that they make that are helpful for you in the long run. And if you're uh, a parent and your kids are out of the house or if you don't have kids, then you can just look at all of us parents and give us more no-nos and, and judge us because we know that you are the experts in the room. Um, isn't it funny how when you're finished your parenting journey, uh, you become more of an expert than while you are in the middle of your parenting journey? Uh, there are some days that I just feel like um, I am overwhelmed. Um, I want you to know that I'm not coming at this series from an expert's point of view. I haven't studied parenting. I haven't done a doctoral program to learn all the ins and outs of parenting. And so I'm not coming at you as an expert telling you how to be a better parent, but rather as someone who's trying to learn to be a better parent myself. In fact, uh, like most of you, I make many mistakes. One I'd like to share with you now. Um, about three months ago, I made a huge mistake in the life of my son Landon. He, he'll be five in November. And um, Landon loves, one of his favorite things of the week is when we finish church on Sunday mornings and begin to break down and pack up everything and store it away for the next week. He loves to help with that. And honestly, a lot of times he gets in the way. And so we uh, kind of put him in places where he can't get in the way. But he loves it. He pretends at home that he's packing up gear from church. And uh, it's just one of the highlights of his week. And one particular Sunday, as we were finishing up, loading out, as we call it, um, back behind the recreation department, there's a hill, and it's mostly dirt, but there are some trees in this hill, and uh, over in the corner, there's actually some young pine saplings, and uh, on this particular day, his creative mind, I guess he thought he was a lumberjack because he was over cutting down the trees, or pretending to, at least, and I saw that he was safe, and everything was good, and uh, could keep an eye on him, so I let him cut down his trees for the time being. But when it was time to go and everything was packed up and we were pulling out, um, I had my car around back to load up uh, some of our gear to take home with us. And uh, I also had another student that I was taking home. Uh, his name was Nick. And uh, I said to Landon, hey, Landon, it's time to go, buddy. Come on. Time to load it up. And he says, Daddy, I'm cutting down trees. Can't come right now. I said, Landon, come on, we're leaving. Everybody's gone. We're finished. It's time to go home. 
Okay, I was tired and frustrated from a long day already, and I was ready to go. And he says, no, nah, Dad, I'm, I'm cutting down trees. I can't leave right now. I'm cutting down these trees. And so I thought, well, I'm going to teach him the importance of listening to his father and obeying instructions. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and take Nick home. We're going to go. We'll, we'll come back later and pick you up, I guess. You cool with that? He said, yeah, I'm going to cut down trees. I'm cool with that. So I said, all right, Nick, here's what we're going to do. Get in the car. We're going to pull up like we're going to leave. We're going to scare him. He's going to get in the car. And so Nick gets in the car, and we pull up, and I roll down the window. And I said, I said, Landon, we're leaving, buddy. We're gone. You sure you don't want to come with us? And he said, no, nah, Daddy, I want to cut down these trees. Cut down these trees. And I said, all right. So I rolled the window up, and I started pulling off. And I said, Nick, I said, do you think he's going to be cutting down trees when we come back around the building, or do you think he's going to be like in panic mode, like thinking we left him? He's like, oh, he's cutting down trees. He's not going to blink an eye. He don't care about leaving. And I said, okay. So I drove around the building one time, okay? I didn't go super slow to try to teach him a long lesson. I just was going to drive around the building, come back, and if he wasn't ready to come, I was going to make him come. But I thought I would teach him a lesson, you know, being the all-star parent that I am. I drive around the building to find that he's no longer there where he was cutting trees. And so I get out of the car and I said, Landon, where you at, buddy? I didn't hear anything. So I said, Nick, go check the side of the building. I'm going to go up this hill and see if he went up the hill. So I'm starting walking up the hill and I'm like, Landon, where you at, buddy? And he's like, nowhere to be found. And it kind of hits me like my child's missing. Like he can't be far, but, but where, where did he go? And so there's a fence up by the road. And so I went up just making sure that he wasn't up there. He wasn't there. I said, Nick, you see him down there? And Nick, in the most panicked 16-year-old voice possible, says, Bronson, you got to get over here. So I start like, something's wrong with Landon. I start running. And apparently in the time it takes me to drive around the building once, my son can run all the way up the side of the building, out to the main entrance, into the road, and have a car stop that would have hit him if they weren't paying attention. And a lady is now holding my son out in the middle of the road. And I am running up full speed, like, what's going on? What's going on? And this lady is now holding my son, who is pointing up Savannah Street, saying, my daddy went that way, he left me. My daddy went that way, he left me. <laughs> Parent fell, I know. So this lady, who has no clue who this child, who is just wandering in the middle of the road's father is, is somewhat protective, like, you know, who are you? Are you his dad? He said his dad left him. Did you leave him? Why'd you leave him? And I'm like, I did the only thing I knew to do, right? I pulled the pastor car. I said, man, listen, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and our church meets right here in the rec department. And we were loading up our stuff. And I guess he thought I was leaving him and he ran off. I said, I didn't leave him. My car is parked around back. I didn't tell her I circled the building. And she asked a few more questions to make sure that I wasn't trying to harm this child and uh, letting me know her disapproval that he was out in the road. She finally gave him back to me. And, you know, I went from this mode of wanting to teach my child a lesson, right? To teach him, you know, you should obey. I shouldn't have to ask you twice to get in the car. I went from this mode of correction to like, being corrected like I just made a mistake like that could have been devastating to my child did I have good intentions yes would you have done the same thing hopefully not some of you I know would have but did it turn out the way I wanted it to no and so all the way home I had a pit in my stomach and I hated to even tell Lindsay and 
that wasn't a fun conversation, but at the end of the day, I had great intentions for my child. And I wanted to teach him and train him and give him some things necessary. But in the end, it was a mistake. It could have hurt my, could have hurt my kid. could have been a lot worse than it turned out. And I think, I think that good intentions can't be our crutch when it comes to parenting. We can't just lean on like, well, I had good intentions. I wanted the best for my child. I thought I was doing what was right. We have to be intentional enough to realize that there are some major decisions that we can make in the life of our kids that can have a negative impact that could affect not only their childhood and their teenage years, but can affect their life as an adult. And so this series is simply about saying, hey, here's some no-nos. These are some major mistakes that we can avoid as parents. Um, You also need to know that I'm basing content for this message series on a book that's out. It's called 12 Huge Mistakes Parents Can Avoid. 12 Huge Mistakes Parents Can Avoid. It's written by Dr. Tim Elmore, and you should get the book. Um, It's just insightful and you need to get the book if you're a parent if you care about being a great parent get the book 12 huge mistakes parents can avoid by dr tim elmore Uh, so last week we talked about the first no-no which we said that as parents a no-no would be preparing the path for your child rather than preparing your child for the path preparing the path for your child rather than preparing the child for your path is a huge no-no As parents, we love our kids, right? And we want to remove every obstacle out of their way to make life easy and more enjoyable. We want to clear the path so that life is easy and better for our kids. And we fail to understand that when we prepare the path for our kids, we're not preparing our kids for the path. And there's going to come a day in their life where they're going to enter a world where people aren't clearing the path for them any longer. And they're not going to be equipped and prepared to navigate the obstacles of life unless we train them through those obstacles as kids. And so that was the first no-no, is that we should not prepare the path for our child, but rather prepare our child for the path. And today I'm going to share a second no-no. And, and some of you, you're going to leave here and you're going to have to go home and digest what we're going to talk about because you're just not going to agree with some things that I say today. And that's okay. I told you last week that uh, we're going to disagree on some things today. My hope and my goal is that you would think through decisions that you make with regards to your kids. And hopefully, at least thinking through things will help you become a better parent. Um, But the second no-no that as parents, I think, have devastating effects on our kids is lying about your child's potential rather than developing their true potential. Lying about your child's potential rather than developing their true potential. Now, we don't want to say that we lie to our kids about their potential, but at the end of the day, we can't all have the best kid in the world, right? We can't all have like the all-star athlete. We can't all have the most talented musician. We can't all have the best-looking kid, and we can't all have the smartest kid because if we all have that, then we all have average kids, which for the most part, our kids aren't as incredible as we have them in our minds. And sometimes when we lie to our kids about their potential and tell them that they are so much better than they are, it's damaging to them in the long run. Let me start out with a few simple things that we say to kids as they're young in life. We say things like, great job when they perform effortless acts. Like, they don't have to try at things and they do something. We're like, oh, that was a great job. At the end of the day, like, they didn't really do much. We say things like, you're amazing 
when they only did what was expected. Right? I'm expecting you to clean your room. When I get home from work, your room better be clean. And it's clean. And we're like, oh, you're amazing. You did what was expected of you. I'm so proud of you. And they're like, yeah, that's right. A pretty amazing kid. I can do what's expected of me. We say things like, you're so smart when they score in a median range on a test. We want to affirm our kids, right? We want to build their self-esteem. We want them to be confident in themselves. But we say things like, you're awesome when they simply did what they should do, what every kid would do. We say things like, you've got talent. When they're, they might be good for their age, but they're not really standout athletes, perhaps. I think sometimes we love our kids so much that we over-affirm them. That we are too, I don't want to say generous in our compliments toward our kids, but sometimes we say things to our kids that cause them to think they live a different reality than they really do. Does that make sense? Like we cause our kids to think that they are better than the world around them. And there's going to come a day where they're going to enter the world around them without mom and dad telling them how awesome they are. And they're going to realize there's a lot more awesome people in this world than I ever imagined. And it's hard for me now to figure out how I fit in to this world. Um, I think part of it is that uh, we live in a day and age where we've created a culture of over-affirmation. Okay, I'm going to give you two examples of how I think we live in a culture of over-affirmation, and some of you are not going to agree with this, and that's okay. Um, my, my son, Landon, just completed his second pre-T-ball season. Okay, four-year-olds, not even T-ball, pre-T-ball. Um, they have dirt on the infields, which they should have grass because all the kids just sit down and play in the dirt. It's like a nightmare trying to get these kids to focus on baseball. Uh, there are a few standout athletes at that age that are obviously leaps and bounds above the others. But for the most part, most kids out there, you're just trying to corral them and keep them from getting hurt and keep them from climbing the fences, okay? So that's the world that I live in. And we get to the end of the season, and I'm the assistant coach, and the coach is uh, talking about ordering trophies for these kids, which, by the way, the parents are going to pay for the trophies in addition to their registration fees, in addition to their jerseys, and, and all this kind of stuff. And um, I'm a little old school when it comes to trophies, okay? Um, when I was growing up, you got a trophy if you accomplished something. And nowadays, we give out trophies if you participate in something, right? So at the end of the day, trophies don't really they don't mean anything anymore because everybody gets a trophy and there's no longer an MVP because that might offend someone who wasn't the most valuable player and there's no longer a most improved because that might offend somebody else. And so we don't recognize true accomplishments anymore. We just recognize participation. And I think it's this world of like, everyone's a winner. We want everyone to just have a positive experience. And, and you all did amazing jobs, and no one was better than you. We're all on the same playing field. And that's just not reality when you enter the real world, is it? Like, I mean, if you underperform on your job or you just do average, you're not rewarded for that. Like, just showing up isn't enough anymore. Like, just participating. Like, you get rewarded for hard work. You know, you put in the time and the effort to do something that stands out above your colleagues. That's what you get rewarded for. And, and you focus your time and your energy on, on things that are above average. You get rewarded for that. 
But the culture that we live in is so over-affirming that we just want everyone to have a great experience, and you're all winners. I hate that we don't even keep score. It's four years old, and I'm like, we should keep score. Like, we obviously got beat tonight, and my son needs to know, hey, like, you should play a little harder. You should care. We're trying to win a game here. But everybody doesn't feel that way, and I'm, I'm a different breed, I guess. Um, but I think it's a, it's a culture of over-affirmation. It hasn't always been this way, but now that's, that's the culture we live in. Um, here, here's the other one that kind of gets me, and um, I'm going to get in trouble with my wife for this one, but um, if you've got young kids and you take your kids to a birthday party, or if you're hosting a birthday party and you invite other kids to your birthday party, there, there's now this thing. It didn't used to be this way. I've recently discovered this, but there's this thing now that if you go to someone else's birthday party, which you're celebrating their big day, you know, you take them a gift, right? They're now expected to give every child that comes a gift as well. Do you know that? Maybe you know that. Maybe, maybe that was just news for me. But I'm like, you know, we're going to take a gift to little Johnny. It's his birthday. And now my kid might get upset if he doesn't get to open a present too. So he's going to get a present in return. And I'm like, so you mean now when we host a birthday party, we got to get presents for everybody? <laughs> like, I want to be the rebel and be like, hey, look, it's my kid's birthday. Like, if you want to come celebrate my kid, love it. I'm going to come to your kids, and we're going to give you a gift. But if you come to my kid's birthday party, you're not getting a gift. And we're not going to be offended if you don't give a gift, but, you know, it's my son's big day. I just think it's so backwards. Like, like we don't want anyone to be offended that they didn't get a gift, so everybody's going to get a gift. Now, I lose that battle in my family, so when we have birthday parties, we give everybody gifts. Um, so I, I lose that battle, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. I understand the heart behind it and the intent is we want to be a blessing to everybody and thank them for coming. That's, that's generous and kind. But it just didn't used to be that way, right? You used to have a birthday party, and you would get gifts. You went to someone else's birthday party, you gave them gifts. You didn't get rewarded just for coming. But we have this over-affirming culture now that we live in, and I think that it kind of translates into our homes that causes us to want our kids to feel like they're better than they really are. Please don't hear me today say that you should not affirm your kids. You should affirm your kids. That's a responsibility that you have as a parent, but you should affirm your kids truthfully. You should affirm your kids truthfully. Think about American Idol auditions. Okay, a lot of it's staged. I get that. It's TV. Okay, they want to get ratings. But there are some people that audition thinking that they're going to be the next American Idol. They can't sing. Let's be honest. They can't sing. They can't sing very well. And for them to be in that position to participate in a great singing competition, someone had to lie to them. Think about that. Like, they have to believe that they can sing. Who told them that? Somebody told them that. Like, you can't sing. Like your mom should tell you, you can't sing. I know you love to sing. The shower, you can take a shower every day and you can sing in the shower and you'll you know, have a great audience. But if you get out in front of people, you're not just going to embarrass yourself, you're going to embarrass me too. So let's just spare it all, you know. You can't sing. You can't sing. You know, you're not a great athlete. I know that you want to play in the NFL, but you have to be athletic to compete with the best athletes in the world. And as much as... I want that dream for you. Like, just know, like, there are some people who are more talented, more athletic than you. You know, you're not the smartest kid in the world. 
You know, like there are other people that might be smarter than you, and I'm so proud at the grades that you're getting right now, but to tell our kids, like, you have an amazing voice, you sound like angelic, when they don't sing very well, that's lying to our kids, and I think that there's a moral issue there. You know, the Bible teaches us that lying is a sin, and it doesn't excuse it because we want our children to feel like they are esteemed more than they should be. Um, why do we lie to kids? And I know some of you don't even like the term lying. You, you like to say that you're, you know, curving the truth or um, you're looking out for your kids. But if we're honest, we lie to our kids sometimes. I told my son Landon the other day, I said, you're the most awesome kid in all the world. I did. I told him that. In my opinion, he's a pretty awesome kid. But is he the most awesome kid in all the world? Like, I can't prove that. Is there anything damaging in me telling my son that? Perhaps not. But does my kid need to go around thinking like I'm better than every other kid in the world? No, he probably doesn't need to think that. Because he's not better than other kids. It's just my way of showing him love. And I need to be careful in the words that I choose when I show him love. Because I am shaping his mentality and his worldview. And I'm causing him to dream dreams that sometimes are based on distorted truths or outright lies. And it's a dangerous place to put our kids. So why do we lie to our kids? Number one, I think that we are sometimes insecure. Sometimes we as parents are just insecure and we want our kids to like us. We don't want to take the risk of rejection if we tell them something that they don't want to hear. And sometimes we're just not secure enough to speak honestly with our kids. Like when your kid like comes and does something for you and you're like, that eh, wasn't that great. And they're like, how was it? And you're like, oh, that was precious. That was the best thing. Like they're probably going to go do that for somebody else. You should know that. You just told them they were great at something. They weren't. Now they're going to go do it hurting the kids. Sometimes we lie to kids because speaking the truth is more difficult. It is sometimes more difficult to speak truthfully to our kids, especially when it comes to their very life and things they love and things that they dream about and are passionate about. Sometimes the truth can be painful, and we don't want to hurt our kids. No one says, I want to hurt my kid today, and so I'm going to tell them an outright truth. And because we don't want to hurt our kids, we sometimes bend the truth. And we don't tell them the complete, honest answer to questions or statements that we make about our kids. And we do it out of a sense of wanting not to hurt them. But sometimes it hurts them in the long run. Sometimes facing the truth makes us responsible like sometimes our parenting is reflected in the truth and we just don't want to be responsible for some things that aren't perfect about our kids and so we just excuse them. It makes it easier to blame other people. You know, if that, if that coach knew anything about you know, baseball, you'd be playing right now. You know, if that teacher, if they knew anything about teaching, they would know that you deserve a higher grade than that. And it's easier for us to excuse the reality in the kid's life and blame someone else for it. And lastly, the most dangerous place to be is sometimes I think we lie to our kids because we actually believe the lies about our kids. We just get so wrapped up in how much we love our kids. We just get so wrapped up in how precious they are to us, and they should be precious to you. You should love your kids more than any other kids. That's natural. But sometimes we get so wrapped up into that that, that we don't view them truthfully. And we actually start to believe that our kids are better than other kids, that our kids are more talented than other kids. 
at the end of the day, are there things that your kids are more talented than other kids at? Yes. There's going to be a best player on every baseball field, and somebody's going to be the mom and dad. Okay? Are you wrong for having that best player? No. Are you wrong for telling them they're that best player? Not necessarily. But just know that there's going to be another field they're going to play on one day, and they're not going to be the best player on that field. And if they walk onto every field thinking they're the best player on the field, it's going to have some damaging effects in the long run. There are things that your kids are great at, above average. Those things should be celebrated. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But when it comes to things that they're average or below at, we shouldn't distort the truth to make them feel better about themselves or to make us feel better about, our truth, about ourselves. Lies distort reality, creating dreams that don't match the gifts of our kids. It's possible for us to over-affirm our kids in certain areas, causing them to have dreams based on those comments that we make to them that aren't realistic, that one day aren't going to come true. Aren't going to come true. The biggest lie that I think that we can say to our kids has the greatest of intentions. But when we say to our kids, you can do anything you want in this world, that's a lie. You can't do anything you want in this world. We mean well. What we mean is, son, daughter, if you set your mind to it, you can do far more than you think you can do. You are capable of far greater things than you think that you can currently do. And I want to spur you on. I want to push you into greatness. I want you to experience greater things than you've experienced. But to say you can do anything you want to do is just not truth. In fact, we take it a step further and we start quoting Scripture. We throw in Philippians 4.13 and we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, any dream you have, Jesus will help you accomplish that dream. And that's just, that's the verse that's taken out of context. Paul is talking about being provided for there and being content. He's not saying that Jesus is your ticket to your dreams, okay? If you're not athletic, you're not going to play pro sports. You might have a dream too. I had a dream too. It didn't work out. It didn't work out. You aren't going to do everything that you want to do in this life, and you don't have a ticket to believe that. But what you can do, what you can do is you can train your kids to live to the greatest potential in the purpose that God's designed for them. Do you realize Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, like for each of us, I believe God has a plan for our life. Like when you were created, when you came into existence, even when you were conceived in your mother's womb, there was a plan that God had for your life, a purpose. You serve a purpose in the earth. You aren't just in existence. You're here for a reason, and God wants to use you for things. And our greatest accomplishment as a parent is helping our kids understand and identify their purpose in this world so that when they enter adulthood, they spend their adult years pursuing their purpose. But sometimes we have it backwards. We cause them to think that they can do anything they want, and then they get out into the real world, and they try this, and they try that, and they realize that they aren't as smart as mama told them that they were. And they're not as talented as they've always believed that they were. And they have these lies that they've bought into that's caused them to dream dreams that they'll never attain. And they have a hard time coping with it. They have a hard time coping with it. Here's four results, harmful results, of distorted truths 
when it comes to our children. First harmful result is anxiety and depression. We're seeing more and more young people in this culture experience anxiety and depression. More and more. And I think part of it is attributed to this over-affirming culture. When kids' positive environment of affirmation doesn't match reality, okay, there's a gap between what they're hearing and what's true, they realize that they aren't who they believe they were. There's going to come a time in their life where they're like, man, I believe that all these years, and it's just not true. And they have a hard time coping with it. Uh, there's, there's a study that's in this book that you can read about that counselors are saying more and more they're seeing early 20-year-olds in counseling sessions, and a lot of them uh, are in what they're now officially calling a quarter-life crisis. Right? You've heard of a midlife crisis. Now they're saying that there's a, a thing called a quarter-life crisis where kids go to school, they're told how great they are, they go to college, they experience um, uh, the reality of not knowing that they are as great as they were told they were, and then they enter the real world, and they have a hard time coping because it's not as easy as they thought. They were told they're the smartest, so they shouldn't have to think very hard because they're smarter than everybody else. They were told that they were more talented, so they don't work as hard as they should because why should they have to? They're more talented than everybody out there. And then the, real, the realistic truth hits them like a ton of bricks, and they, they can't cope with it. They go into depression and anxiety at early ages. Number two, they have unrealistic and un, unmet expectations. We think that affirmation and over-affirmation builds self-esteem, but in reality, it builds narcissism. And so we're raising a culture of kids, a generation of kids who have high arrogance and low self-esteem when we think that we're creating a generation that has high self-esteem. What we're really doing is causing kids to think they're better than everybody else because that's what they've been told their whole life. And they enter the real world, and they're not better than everybody else. And so they have this arrogant approach, and when they hit reality, they realize, oh, I don't believe in myself as much as I should because I am not who I believed that I was. It works backwards. Number three, a harmful result is that kids spend their adult lives wandering instead of working. Wandering instead of working. When their dreams don't match reality, kids spend their adult lives trying to figure out their purpose instead of living it. Kids should, kids should enter their adult years ideally knowing what their purpose in life is so that as they become an adult, they pursue their purpose. They give their life to their purpose. They, they, they work for their purpose. That's not what's happening. We enter adult years and we're like, well, I've got this degree and there's no jobs in that field, so I'm going to try this, and that doesn't work. I don't really like that, and I'm not great at this. And we wander from job to job just trying to figure out, why are we even here? What's the purpose of life? Why do I? But our whole childhood was, you're incredible. You're awesome. You're perfect. You're better than everybody. And then there's unmet expectations. Number four, kids spend their adult lives wishing they were someone else because of over-affirmation and a distorted truth about themselves they're obsessed with pipe dreams which reduces their ambition to accomplish things in life there was a study that asked a group of young 20 year olds this question what would you most like to be in your career 
young college students, what would you most like to be in your career? Listen to some of the answers. They gave them a list of answers, and they could choose which ones they would want to be. 9.5% said they would want to be a chief of a major company. That's pretty ambitious. I want to lead a major company. I want to be a top dog. 9.8% said they want to be a Navy SEAL. That's a pretty, pretty impressive resume to say you're a Navy SEAL. And a little over 9% said that, that they wanted to accomplish that. 13.6% said they wanted to be a U.S. Senator. I don't know what kids they were asking. That wasn't on top of my list, but U.S. Senator. 43.4% said they would want to be a personal assistant to a famous celebrity. That they have this pipe dream that's centered around attention that even if they can't have the attention themselves, almost half of the kids surveyed said they would want to be a personal assistant to someone famous just because they can be attached to a lifestyle that they think is the greatest lifestyle. And I think that it's attributed to kids feeling like they're better than they are or that they've been over-affirmed or that their dreams aren't realistic. Last week, I read to you Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. That's probably the most obvious scripture to read when we talk about parenting. And I want to read that to us again today. It says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Train a child in the way he should go. Okay? My mind has always said, you know, train him to be godly. Teach him the ways of the Bible principles of scripture, truths about right and wrong. Teach him the right way. Teach him the way that he should go. And when he's old, he won't turn from it. And there's truth in that. You should do that. You should train your kids to be godly. You should train your kids to know right from wrong. You should train your kid with principles and responsibilities that will make them better people. But when you really look at the Hebrew that this was originally written in, there's a connotation of training a child in, in his way meaning like a personal way, which means like a customized approach to parenting. Not a generic approach that just says, hey, teach these certain principles, but says every kid is different and every kid is gifted by God and has certain purposes in their life. And we should try to teach them the way that God has planned for them and help them discover what that purpose is and build up the strengths that they have. All kids aren't the same. You can't even punish all kids the same. If you have multiple kids, you know, you might have one kid. Here's the difference between my brother and I, okay? My parents were were spankers. Um, I would say they're beaters, but that might get people in trouble these days. They were spankers, and we would get in trouble, and my dad would say, go back to the room, get the belt, and we would do that. And I would start crying before my dad got there. And he'd give me one lick, and I just, the world was over, screaming, okay? I'm done. One lick. My brother's approach, it ain't going to hurt. He's taking like four and five licks. He came out and says, I didn't even cry. I said, I got one lick. Ah. (laughs) They're they're just different. Your kids are different. They have different giftings. They have different talents. They're different. And you can't raise all kids exactly the same way. You have, to, you have to customize your parenting to help them discover who they are and their greatest gifts so that they can be everything that God's called them to be. Train a child in his, 
path and the way he should go. Teach them what their greatest strengths are. Help them explore their giftings. When they're old, they won't turn from it. That's what we want for our kids. We want kids that aren't just good kids. We want kids that that aren't just well-behaved. We want kids that fulfill their God-given purpose in this life. So, what's the right message that we should send our kids? If we don't want to lie to them, if we don't want to over-affirm them, if we don't want to create a distorted mental existence for them, Here's straight out of the book. I'm not taking credit for any of this. Here's the first five years of their life. This is what we should say. The first five years, their youngest years of their life, we should say, you are loved. That's true. Mama loves you. Daddy loves you. You should know that. It's a tragedy when kids don't feel love. You're loved. You are safe. I'll protect you. No harm will come to you. I'll do everything in my power to keep you safe. Kids need to know that. You are valuable. You aren't just ordinary and average. You're valuable. You have something to bring to the table. God has placed gifts in you. You're valuable. You're important. You're uniquely gifted. There's not another person of the 7 billion plus people on all the planet that even has the same fingerprint as you. You're unique and you're important. And you are supported. I'm always going to be here beside you. I'm always going to walk with you through what you're doing. I'm going to support you. That's what we should be telling our youngest kids. And then as they transition into their teenage years, 13 through 18, the last five years that we have with them, our words should change. And this is what we should be saying. Life is difficult. It's not a walk in the park. I know it seems like life's easy because you got a home to come to and I might provide a car for you to drive and I give you your clothes. But life's difficult. You need to know what it takes for me to provide that for you. You are not in control. This world does not revolve around you. You can't make anything happen that you want. There's a grand scheme of things out there and you fit into it somehow, but you don't control it. You are not that important. It's hard to say to your kid, isn't it? Seven billion people on the planet. If I died today, this world's going to keep spinning. It's going to go on. If you died today, there's going to be heartache. People are going to cry about it. Lord willing, hopefully. But none of us are so important that the world's going to stop. It's going to keep going. You're not that important. Your life is not just about you. It's not everybody isn't here for you. And lastly, you're going to die one day and you're going to leave a legacy. When you enter adulthood, you need to know that who you become and what you've done is going to be how you're remembered because you're not going to live forever. And the reality for our kids to move from you're loved, you're supported, you're protected, you're safe to there's a great big world out there and it's difficult and it's hard and you need to be ready for it is a transition that we need to make as parents to help our kids prepare for who they're going to become. So here's six ambitions that you should cultivate in the life of your kids. Six ambitions that you should cultivate. Number one, you should teach your kids to know themselves. Teach your kids to know themselves. Don't allow them to get out of your house, out of your influence, and enter into the adult world, and then try to discover and figure out who they are. 
That's your responsibility as a parent. Help them to know themselves. Help them to understand their strengths. Help them to understand their weaknesses, even when it's hard to tell them sometimes the truth. Help them to discover what they're great at and what they're not so great at. Help them to know themselves. Number two, help them to develop their gift. We spend a lot of time working with kids who are below average, trying to pull them up to average. They have weaknesses. They're not as great at things as other people. And we say, we gotta, we got to work at this. You're not hitting the ball as great as, as the rest of the kids. You know, we got to bring you up to par. Okay, we, we want you to... We spend a lot of effort trying to become average when there are things in this life that they're better than average at. And if we would spend all this time, instead of becoming average, becoming great at a few things, then we'll help identify the purposes that God has for us. Number three, teach them to value people. Value people. People aren't a means to an end. They're the end themselves. We don't use other people in this world to get what we want. We're here to serve one another. Number four, find your passion. What fires you up on the inside? Don't let your kid enter the adult life and not be passionate about anything. You know, what injustices in the world get you fired? What things do you want to change? What, what things do you care deeply about that motivates you, that makes you angry, that helps you feel like you're serving a purpose? Teach them to learn perseverance. No excuses in life. Stick with your commitments. Don't we make it too easy on kids? Oh, you're not having fun, you don't like it? We'll just quit. We'll try something different. No, you don't have to play again next season, but you said you wanted to play, so we're going to finish this season out. You made a commitment, and you're going to fulfill your commitment. No excuses. That's the real world. You make a commitment, you keep your commitment. We've got to teach our kids this. And number six, teach them to pursue excellence. We've got to break the good enough mentality. We've got to teach them to give their very best. Don't do anything half-heartedly. If you're going to do something, give it your very best. And pursue excellence. Go over the top. If that means doing fewer things, then so be it. But if you're going to do something, give it your very, very best. So we have a far more important job as Christian parents than simply hoping our kids' dreams come true. Here's, here's, here's a question for me. I'm going to give you a couple of questions as we end. If, if you were to go to your mailbox as a parent and there were a letter from God in that mailbox and you opened it and you read this letter from God and the letter from God identified your child's purpose. Your child is intended to be an incredible doctor that's going to cure cancer. That's their purpose. That's why I designed them. That's their gift to the world. And you sit down with your kids, and your kid says, you know, I want to be a lawyer. That's what I want to do with my life. How would you react? Well, if you had a letter from God, and you knew why they were created, what their purpose was, wouldn't you say, that's, that's, a, great, that's a great dream, and lawyers, they're, they're great, you know, they make lots of money, you'd do great at that. But have you ever noticed that you have this, you have this talent towards like helping people, and you can kind of fix things, and and you know the medical things that interest you and you're always asking the questions, wouldn't you want to cultivate that? Wouldn't you want to steer them towards their purpose in life? So why don't we spend more time trying to discover the purpose of our kids? Because we're not getting letters in the mail. And it's not easy. 
But as Christian parents, as followers of Jesus, that's the responsibility we have is to help our kids discover their purpose and to train them in their way so that when they're older, they won't turn from it. I think all of us in the room could say that there are potentials in our life that we haven't reached. My question for us is, what are our excuses for not reaching our potentials? Tough life growing up. Parents weren't there for you. Dealt a bad blow. Tragedies in life at the wrong times. Life's hard. I get it. Now here's the next question for you. What excuses do you have for your kids not reaching their potential? Because that's not in the past. That's current. That's current and future. What are we going to do starting today to be intentional enough with our kids to help them discover their purpose and reach their full potential? It starts with not lying to our kids about their potential. We don't have to over-affirm them. Kids are resilient. They need to know the truth. And we speak the truth in love, and we believe that we can help them discover their strengths, their gifts, and we can nurture those and help them discover their gifts and their passions and their, ultimately their purpose. And they'll enter their adult life not wondering, trying to figure out who they are, but they'll know who they are. They'll be secure in who they are. And they'll pursue a life towards that purpose. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the journey of parenting. Thank you for even the difficulties and challenges that come with it. My prayer is that you would give us boldness, that you would give us intentionality, that you would give us the discipline to make sure that we are not lying to our kids about their potential. But we care enough and love them enough to develop and explore their true potential and help them be everything that you've called them to be in this life. Pray for every parent here that you give them wisdom, that you would give us wisdom, that we would make wise decisions, that we would avoid mistakes when it comes to our children. Pray for every student, child listening to this message, that you would help us to understand that parenting is difficult, and sometimes we don't have to agree with the decisions that our parents make that affect us, but we have to learn to trust that they want what's best for us. And help us to raise a generation that's not ego-inflated, that don't believe the lies that the world would tell them, that they're better than anyone, but they would discover their greatest strengths and they would pursue their purpose in this life. And I give you thanks for families that become all that you want us to become. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.